Dumelagum Zanzi, Nolutandungakani here, your head of news over at Healthform Zanzi. Joining me on this podcast, my colleague and co-sister in action, Lucinda Dordley. Hey Lulu, and to all of our friends in crisis, welcome back to Sisters Without Shame, a podcast that is proudly brought to you by Healthform Zanzi. Suffer in silence for who when this podcast is a safe space for your medical shames and woes. Every week, we will hold your hand as we unpack those ever so embarrassing health questions you would not dare ask in public. You can't be out here feeling deprived about your back knee and smelly farts when you've got us in your corner. No judgments or worries. We've got your back, babes. In the last weeks leading up to the end of the year, I've been feeling a lot more grateful for my life and loved ones. We have this Omarion virus in the air and it's just been a very tough year, man. But I really do appreciate anything and everything in my life. The last leg of the year always comes with a sort of panic for me. But there is nothing like a little gratitude to almost sort of send to you. But before we give our thanks and get all mushy... We have a friend in crisis to attend to Lulz. Now, as our listeners do know, on every episode, we listen to a voice note, read a WhatsApp or email message received from a Healthform Zanzi reader. Remember, your messages are confidential and we will never mention your name unless you want us to. Lucinda, who needs some sisterly shoulders to cry on this week? This week, we have a message from Jacob's doll. Anonza writes, Hi, sisters. You never really know who you are dealing with, do you? I finally decided to leave when he grabbed my hand and bent it backward in front of my kids. He was trying to get information out of me about where I'd been. It hurt so much I was crying but he didn't let go until I screamed. The act wasn't the factor. He'd done much worse before, including kicking me in the stomach while I was pregnant. The factor was the kids being directly exposed to it. Anyway, I am now ready to give love a try again. But how do I know I won't land up in a similar situation? I've really, really bad anxiety. Against all odds, Mara Glennie, who is our guest this week, survived a life-threatening event that involved grievous bodily harm and founded TEARS, an organization that provides a support network for victims of rape and abuse. Her mission is to enable victims of rape and sexual abuse to find the assistance, comfort, and compassion that they need when faced with a similar situation. Glennie is passionate about women's rights and the fact that women have very little to no protection, despite our progressive laws and studies in Mzanzi. So Mara, we never know who we really are dealing with until the first time that they do something that is out of pocket or they do something to harm you, they say something to harm you or they physically do it. So do abusers typically show any warning signs? I think that's a very complicated question. I'm a person who stayed in a relationship too long, nearly 20 years. And when I look back now, I know there were warning signs from day one, but he only physically hurt me in 19 and a half years. However, One must just see that if a person is insanely jealous, very possessive, makes you ask where you're going, checks your emails, checks your phone, 
it discourages seeing your family and friends. Those are all warning signs. And what happens is we tend to say it's just he's different and I'm the one who understands him. And, you know, it's his upbringing. He was very religious or his parents were over-religious. So we just constantly make excuses for men and bad behavior. And so the difficulty is to find yourself people who understand your concerns, but in a caring way, because just sympathy is a useless emotion. So you need to have sympathy with action. No, there's always that question of why does the victim never leave? We always hear things of why is she only waiting to come forward with her allegations now? It's always a common response when people think about the victim. I mean, we've seen already in this whole week on Twitter, especially following those scathing claims against that TV personality and musician. You know, what is the victim's experience in abusive relationships? And how can we as people be more sensitive towards the situation? Well, I think the difficulty, you're quite right that that has happened. And I think one of the difficulties is, is that when a victim or a perpetrator, in this case, chooses to speak out, he or she, because perpetrators can be men and women, and needs to make sure that they've made good the damage they've done. So you can't be speaking out against abuse if someone is still holding it against you somewhere. So it's very difficult. So I think that's the case you're referring to. And the fact is people have come out and said he did this and this. So yes, he has a new relationship that seems to be going very well, but you do have to pay up all the abuse you've done in the past before you stick your neck out. And I think we found that happens. It doesn't matter what you do. If you are a miss whatever entrant and you send nude pictures of yourself when you were 16, they come out. So The difficulty is any high-profile person's past gets examined, and that's the hard part because I'd like to believe he is reformed, but it's just to fix the past. Reforming is very difficult for men, and I think that it was brave of him to come out, although he may well have not made right the past. So let's just talk about why it's hard to go out because I stayed in an abusive relationship verbally and emotionally abusive for many years that nearly cost me my life eventually physically. Is we stay because we think we can change the men and ladies, we can't. The only thing that can change a man's behavior is his decision to change. And we can encourage him, we can introduce him to other people, but begging, pleading, crying, because they'll come to get you back make you every promise under the sun. And before the sun is set, they've already broken that promise. Has to be a life-changing commitment. Um, We'll go to counseling together and I will put into practice what I've learned. Because counseling is one thing, living it out is another thing. And so I also think that there are a lot of other reasons women don't leave. Because we impoverish women to a large extent. You spoke about financial abuse being one of the problems. This is my personal opinion. We somehow don't empower women and women don't empower themselves because it's a twofold situation and say, I'm happy to stay at home and look after the kids, but these are my conditions. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to keep a job on a Saturday. We just take the position where the husband is the provider and you stay at home. And then mostly women don't make the effort to learn new skills and grow. We were just talking about in our office about a woman in her 70s who had to learn to internet bank for the first time because her husband passed on. So we need to also make the effort to take all those skills so that if you do have to leave the situation, you can get a job. And it's not always a teller at one of the big chain stores. It might be a typist in an office 
It might be that you've practiced your English and you can proofread. There's a whole lot of jobs that are out of our normal situation because they need a slightly extra skill. So we need to remain updated. And also the other thing is that women don't leave because they've lived at home with their husband and their kids for 30 years and they don't have anywhere to go. And honestly, I've worked in a shelter and the shelters are not the best place. They're safe. You might not get killed by your husband, but they're not probably the best place to be having a family life. In fact, there is no family life. So they don't leave because they haven't got money. They've got no place to go. They're undereducated and undervalued. And we do not enable them. And I'm saying we because I always teach people if someone comes forward as they've been abused, you need to say, I believe you. I want to help you. You're not alone. What do you need me to do for you? Because sympathy just kills you. It does not help you. Sometimes they need a a space on your couch, but obviously that can never be permanent. So they need a permanent solution. And it might mean that you speak to your employer to take her on, or you ask your friend if they've got a cottage where she could live and you help her move. Because what happens is we're big on advice and we're short on action. And so a woman needs, they need a cottage pie or a pup and sauce or whatever they like eating on their first night in a new place. You need to make sure they've got at least some money on their phone so when they feel lonely or scared, they can phone. Because we don't put the support in that woman needs. And it's not about a high budget. It can be at any level. So what happens is sometimes people can't even get to the shelter because they don't have the taxi fare. So it's very simplistic areas that you could help in by offering people support. Because if you don't have a car and you can't say, don't worry, I'll fetch you and I'll take you to the shelter, you can say, I can help you with an Uber money or taxi fare and you know that's 100 rand or whatever. And I don't think we're good to give advice, but we're not good to give help. And sometimes women don't even have the clothes to move to a shelter because they've been living at home and wearing their dressing gown every day. And so we need to be a little more practical in our help. And then when she's moved to the shelter or the cottage or whatever place, a room at a friend's house, don't forget her because it's jolly lonely leaving and starting a life over. Because not only are you leaving your partner, whom you maybe thought you would live to be old with, but you're leaving your whole life behind. Because trust me, everyone blames the woman. I know when my sister finally did it, she was also kind of in a situation so much it was more emotional than it was physical but when she finally decided it was out of the blue she just filed divorce papers and then she sat on the couch and she was drinking and we didn't understand what was going on until she said i filed it's a shock, it's a shock. you blue. don't want to be divorced but the circumstances are such that mm. it would cost you your life if you stayed in that situation mm. she always felt like it would end up with her either dying or him so she's just like nope well, she was brave. After 10 years of marriage. Oh, well, she's brave. And so most people threaten mm. to leave or talk about leaving, and it takes him up to eight times to leave. Eight. So she was one of the few who did it straight away. So that's why we've got such a high rate of deaths in our country where people are dying in relationships because it gets to the place where the rage whether it's real or imagined, it's a rage and the man thinks he can control you and he'll try to hit you into submission because remember that rape and abuse is not about love, it's Mm. about control. It's a power thing. Can you tell me a a bit about your experiences then and how you also decided to leave, if we can talk about that? 
course. I was in an abusive relationship my whole marriage. I spent most of the years making excuses for him, that it was his career, his past life, his whatever, the life. And in fact, I should have left within weeks. That's how bad it was. But I kept on making excuses. So the difficulty was I was married to an illusion, not to the real person. I imagined that I was married to this wonderful man. And I also am and was a committed Christian. And I kept thinking God doesn't like divorce. And actually, all of that was wrong because actually God would never want his children to be living with someone who is abusive to them. God's plan isn't that. So we get a whole lot of stuff muddled up with our own dreams, our own misrepresentation. And I stayed too long and then he waterboarded me, which means puts you underwater until you nearly drown and then pulls you out and hits you around. So it's very, very difficult when you've come through that, which is a torture, waterboarding. It's not just the beating up. They are all equally as bad. I couldn't get the help I needed because people couldn't identify with it. So I went from place to place seeking help. Eventually, I called someone in the army whom I knew very well, and they said, no, Mara, you've been tortured. And so when I realized the truth of what had happened to me, that it was an unnatural circumstances, which all abuse is, I then started to get healing. But I did go through Sadly, every single phase that we go through, it doesn't matter where you live in the country, what your job is. I've been doing this full time for 10 years and I've read extensively additionally. And the phases are all the same, whatever country you live in, whatever society you live in. It's self-hate, depression, self-blame, because I blamed myself that this didn't work out, that if I tried harder, it would have been better if I'd been a better wife. And in fact, it's never the wife's fault. It's the abuser's fault for choosing to behave so badly. But unfortunately, women bear the blame of failed relationships mostly. And they bear the circumstance of, you knew that if you said that, he would lose his temper. So one of the things as a result of my own actions, I tell people, is never, never break up with someone or bring it to a confrontation of the end of your relationship alone. Always let somebody know. Let somebody, your sister's coming to fetch you any minute and or whatever, have a backup plan because that is when women get murdered. And we have a lot of those in this country. They get murdered because they are calling a day to it or they are continuing with their pregnancy. We've seen them hung in trees. We've seen a young girl cut into pieces in East London where her partner was so jealous he saw messages on her phone that he read incorrectly. So it all boils down to the same thing, control. And so if you're breaking up with your partner, which I was doing, which is when I nearly lost my life, have a backup plan. Have someone either at the house in another room or coming to fetch you or something because you could lose your life because essentially what's happening is they're losing control of you as you leave. And so that's why I became an advocate against abuse. When I went to the police station to try and get assistance, it was on a Friday, they said, come back on Monday all our staff leave at four. There was nobody to help me. And when I started Tears, I wanted to start a service that could offer women help in the position I was in. And so I thought to myself, what help would I have wanted? I wanted to know where the, I was crying. I want to know the nearest place I can go to for help to where I was. I was at Randburg Police Station and I needed to be told you can go to this place within driving distance. And they said, come back Monday. 
So I developed a service that's free to anybody on any phone anywhere in South Africa called Help at Your Fingertips, where if you dial a number star 134 star 7355 hash, I'll repeat the number in case you, you might need it. It's star 134 star 7355 hash. It works anywhere in South Africa 24-7. And if you follow the prompts on the phone for free, you will get three nearest places that you can go to for help near where you are located. We'll geolocate them. You will give it permission to do so. After about two years of running the service, which I'm quite proud of because people said it couldn't be done. So remember that at that time when I first started, there wasn't a facility anywhere in the country that could give you information nationwide. There are some now that offer partial information and I'm pleased for that because one place can't do it all. So, so after about a year or two, I decided that we need emergency help. So then we added a new service where if you're in a life-threatening situation, you can ask for help. And either someone will call you back within 24 hours, because we know that sometimes you're with your abuser and you can't speak, but you don't want to let the opportunity pass you by of getting help. So we call people back within 12 hours or 24 hours, depending on what time you call. The other is you would get through to a call center that could help you. So the last thing that we're doing, which I haven't launched yet, which hopefully I'll be able to come back on your show and launch to other people, is that we've discovered that, unfortunately, as you said at the very beginning, we don't talk about the things that matter. We don't talk about the, the difficult words. We don't call a vagina a vagina or a penis a penis because we're kind of ashamed of those words. And they are not bad words. They're real words. We have made them bad in the connotation. So when a kid gets abused and she goes to the police and says, he touched my flower, we can't get justice for them. So we do have a responsibility to call things on their correct name. And so the third app that we're going to start early in the new year is for teenagers to ask questions. What if I'm pregnant? What if I had unprotected sex? What is an STD? All the things that we as parents are not talking to them about or they're too ashamed to ask. As a passion, I gave up my corporate job to do this full-time 10 years ago. And I have an absolute passion that we can live safe, wonderful, happy lives. You know, I get up every day and I'm blessed by God that I do such an amazing job and I can help people. And I want everybody to have that same joy of living. And it often it doesn't come because we are not given the truth. And so I truly believe that if we educate kids, we can make their lives better. Because let's be honest, the rash of child pregnancies, as they called it in the papers, is a lie. That was the rash of child rapes that have resulted in pregnancy. Let's be very clear. And so why did we call it child pregnancies? Why didn't we call it what it is? That's the shocking part. As you said at the beginning, we don't talk the truth. So we go to parliament and we make wonderful statements about the millions that are helping women. So where are those millions? Where are they on the ground? Where are they helping your members? They're not there. They're not there. I like the fact that you said we need to call things out for what they are because that is really important. Also, Mara, you know, what is the impact of abuse on your well-being? And also, why is it important for us to observe 16 days of activism? You know, abuse has a lot of negative effects on the body. People who've been suffering abuse, first of all, I think that one of the areas, I'll come back to the fullness of that question, but one of the areas that we don't really identify is that 
when we are abused, we suffer self-rejection, rejection of your love for that person, rejection of your good intentions, etc. So we suffer from mental abuse, which is the one of the biggest things with GBV. And so we are mentally affected. So I urge everybody that I work with, if there's counselling near you, which is the service on my app, star one three four star seven three five five hash, go for counselling if you can, because we can ask, I don't care what he did, but we do inside our body. We take that negative energy. We take all of that thing. So to get well, sometimes we just need to talk through the situation with an impartial person who's non-judgmental, who only wants your good. And that's very, very important. So some of the other side effects that you get when you're in an abusive relationship is if you've got any kind of situations where maybe you feel fearful, it can trigger fear enormously. And it can trigger huge depression. And then there has been research done overseas that it can trigger various diseases. In the same way, if we understand our lives and we go for the counseling and we do the restorative measures, in other words, if you are with somebody who abused you and you left them and you keep in a relationship with him that hasn't been resolved, you're going to carry on getting abused. It might be physically or mentally. You will not get well. So sometimes part of our healing is terminating the relationship. So I always suggest if you've got children, you get a parenting plan. Because in that parenting plan, it will very, very clearly state, he sees the kids on these days, you see the kids on those days. Additionally, if you've got children, you need to have the maintenance sorted out so that you know that on these days you get paid. And sometimes the women have to pay the men if they've got the better job, which is not that often, but it is what happens. You need to have your maintenance sorted out because your children are not a grace and favor situation. Your children are your joint responsibility. And if you have to register for something, you have to register. And so I think sometimes we also get ill because we don't get up and take the action we should take. And so for me, I delayed divorcing and I delayed terminating the relationship because basically I had this dream of us getting all together, which was never to be, you know, that is uh, 20 years ago now, I nurtured this mistaken idea that one day he'd be fine and we wouldn't have all this stuff. And it's not a reality. Unless you see changed behavior from your partner in that way that he communicates to you that he sees a new way forward. In other words, not with his mouth and he acts differently. He starts coming home on time or stops drinking or whatever the requirement of your attempted reconciliation. It needs to be acted out with actions, not words. Because the thousands of people that we deal with who make promises to their partners that don't even last a week are horrifying. It's easy to cry, please, please, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. That's fine. You can accept that, but let him show you that he will do whatever you've promised, not drink all the money out on a Friday or hit the kids when he's had too much booze or whatever, because we all know those things happen. And then the last thing is that, of course, if you're in a situation that continually repeats itself, we lose all the joy in our life. So that's another part that happens to us. You know, you see kids walking along to school, even if they've got a long walk, they'll be laughing and talking and whatever. If you see a group of women together where there's domestic violence, they're not laughing and talking. They are carrying the burdens of the world on their shoulder. 
So it affects you emotionally, not only with depression, but it affects every aspect of your life. Who wants to go to a cashier at Woolworths and she's bitchy and grumpy because she's having a bad life? Because then you feel like that and it, it rolls off on everybody. I'm not saying it's just the cashier. I'm using that as an example. But I know that, that you can go into a shopping center or into your office, into your school, and you can feel really bad. And it's very hard. So we need to learn because it affects us, the abuse. So we need to learn new coping mechanisms. So we have to acknowledge that something inside you is broken when you are abused. So you need to learn to replace it with something new, like being thankful for the sun coming up or the rain or your friends or your mother or whatever it is. But having a thankful heart doesn't come easy to a lot of us because our circumstances are so black. So we need to learn a thankful heart because as you do that, the circumstances lighten and that is one of the side effects of abuse. We never really talk about men as victims of domestic violence. Why is this not a conversation that we are ready to have and why is violence against men still considered taboo in our society? Because we are a largely a patriarchal society, it's very difficult for men to admit that they've been abused and they are abused. And the easiest place that we can see men are abused is quite often to see them at schools. Boys are abused, abused in the locker room, in the sports field, in whatever. But it's hard to imagine a boy or a man being abused in his home. But yes, they definitely are. And unfortunately, our whole society is male-driven. All our leaders mostly are men, whether they're in church or government all our taxi drivers, all our priests, whatever. So we are a very largely male-driven society. And men are define themselves as masculine, fierce fighters for the future, for their families, the breadwinners. And women are sort of the moppers up behind them. It's not ever portrayed as an equal partnership. So if a man is in an abusive relationship, whether he's raped because he's a homosexual or whether he's hit with a pot because he was drunk and his wife was cross. When they go to the police station, the police generally speak and have not been trained how to handle male abuse cases and frequently they will laugh at the perpetrators. So not only is being abused in their eyes demasculating the scenario, but it's also seen as hilariously funny by these over-macho men. And so it's very difficult to report rape for a male. The circumstances are not lending to that. Very hard. You know, when you're a woman and you're abused, you are not accused of not being a woman. But when you're a man and you're abused, you're accused of not being a suitable man. So we have a very complicated society that is ill. And the unfortunate part of the whole thing is the fact that there is no vaccine for abuse. The vaccine for abuse is changed behavior. We need to see changed behavior. And we need to understand that women can be bullies as well. And women can bully men and do stuff because they are both equally as wrong. There's no right or wrong. It's wrong. Thank you for joining this week's episode of Sisters Without Shame, Mara Glennie. For more on the warning signs and triggers of GBV, check out healthformzanzi.co.za. Now remember, if you are in a medical jam and you need a shoulder to cry on, you can send us an email to hello at healthformzanzi.co.za. That's H-E-L-L-O at healthformzanzi.co.za. You can even send us an SMS 
to 076-132-0454. We will never blue tick you, babes. Lucinda, I don't know if you've been following Twitter this week, but the whole app sort of turned into a platform for victim shaming and it was just a disgusting sight to watch unfold. The relationship between victim and perpetrators of violence is a very complex one that we will never fully comprehend unless we have been in their shoes. This is why we have conversations like these to give aid where we can. All too often, those questions, why do people stay in abusive relationships, opposed to survivors, implying that they are somehow to blame for the abuse. Leaving is where the real threat on your life begins. Mara explained that many people experiencing intimate partner violence realistically fear that the abusive partner's actions will become more violent and even lethal if they attempt to leave. The abuser may have threatened to kill them or hurt their child, family member or pet if they leave. You can support a survivor by just shutting your mouth and keeping your opinions to yourself. A survivor does not need your sympathy either. If you want to support them, be there. I think Mara said that support does not need to be financial. Support is in the little things. The world would be such an amazing place if people would just shut up sometimes, girl. Also, it's called empathy, you know. In fact, the word of the week is empathy. Understand the situation before you make judgments haphazardly. Sheesh! (laughs) That brings us to the end of episode 19 of Sisters Without Shame, proudly brought to you by Health from Zanzi. From me, Lulu Nakani. And me, Lucinda Dordley. Have a great week and remember to show us some love by sharing this podcast with a friend.